finish verse 11 today, so I know that's a lot. It's, it's going to take us basically two, two Sundays to cover verse 11, but you know, there's a lot when you, these are little words, but they're, they're huge concepts with, with great meaning, and we need to, you know, this is, this is the important thing. Um, for instance, when we talk about the cults, um, different, different belief systems, uh, Jehovah's Witness or Mormons, uh, and you know, it's not, it's not whether people are good, moral people, um, it's, and it's not that we use the same words or the same language. I remember a number of years ago when they were first building the, the Mormon um, church here, uh, we did a, about a 10 or 11 week series on Mormonism on Wednesday nights. And in the middle of my series, um, a couple of the people from the Mormon church, some of their leadership came over, uh, a couple of the elders, and um, set in. In that particular night, we were talking about uh, Mormonism in terms of their beliefs being pantheistic or believing in multiple gods. And uh, the guys came up afterwards and they said, we didn't disagree with anything you said tonight, um, which, which they really couldn't because it was their doctrine. Um, most people don't really know what, what it is. He said, but one thing I do disagree, he said, we're not pantheistic. He said, we believe, we only worship one God. I said, well, you worship one God. I said, but you believe in many gods. Um, No, that's not true. I said, no, it is true. And the point of this is, we have to be careful with not just using the same language, but we have to be careful with the meaning that we pour into our words. So Jesus, for instance, is one person to us. He is another person to, for instance, people in Mormonism or people in, that are Jehovah's Witness. To us, he is not only the Son of God, but he is God. Uh, to some who confess Jesus, he's not God. He's the spirit brother of Lucifer, or he is the Son of God, but he's not God. To the Muslims, he's a great prophet, but he's not God, and he's not the Son of God. And so, in talking with these gentlemen, I said, your, your goal as a Mormon man is to become a God, is it not? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I said, I'm assuming you believe Joseph Smith is a God now, ruling his own spirit universe, and Brigham Young is probably his own God, ruling his own spirit universe, and that's your goal as a good Mormon man. So I said, how many gods do we have ruling universes? But we only worship one God. But that's not the point. Christianity, when we talk about the grace of God that brings salvation, our salvation is not going to make us a God one day. Our salvation joins us with the one true God, the one creator of heaven and earth, the one giver of life. There is only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. He's one God. And salvation, the grace of God that brings salvation is the grace of God that joins us to that life who is our salvation. And so when we talk about grace, 
when we talk about salvation, when we even use words like Jesus and God, and we, we need to understand the meaning that's being poured into those words. And we don't have the, we don't get to determine the meaning of those words. We don't pour a meaning in that we get from our culture or we get from some grand idea that we come up with or we take this religion and that religion and that religion or that belief system and pick all of these nice parts that we like and put it all together and now this is what it becomes. No. The meaning that we have to pour into all of these is the meaning that is revealed to us in the Scripture. And this is why the Scripture must be our final authority. My opinion is not the final authority. Your opinion is not the final authority. Some supposed expert's opinion is not the final authority. The final authority is God and what He has revealed to us in the Scripture. So when we talk about grace and salvation, we need to understand these things from the Scripture, not from our good ideas or our popular convenient ideas, because that will get us into a lot of trouble. And, and, and so we are careful to let this word be our plumb line, if you will, to keep us straight, our, to keep us level. Keep us square. Amen? The grace of God that brings salvation. Let me read verse 11 to you. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Father, we ask that you would reveal, Lord, your grace, your salvation that has appeared to all men. Open our hearts and open our minds today to your truth. Lord, show us in greater measure, reveal to us in greater measure, your truth that sets us free. Lord, deliver us from the bondage of wrong ideas, of the wisdom of men, of culture, of all of these things, and deliver us, Lord, unto the truth, the truth found in your word, the truth who is Jesus Christ, that truth, the only truth that can set us free. We thank you for that, Father, that you will do this by your Spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. All right, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And so grace, we talked a lot about grace last week. And we said that the Father in heaven has always been a God of grace. Sometimes we have this misconception that the God of the Old Testament is this mean God of judgment, but now we have the nice God of the New Testament who wants to save us. The Old Testament God wanted to kill us all, and this one wants to save us. No, that makes God uh, schizophrenic. That makes God uh, at least with dual personalities, and, and he's not, that's not who God is. God never changes. Uh, the book of Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In him there is no variableness nor shadow of change or shadow of turning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he began... Listen, at the very beginning of the written word, in the beginning, let there be light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That God who created heaven and earth is a God of grace. He always has been, he is, and he always will be. And so grace describes in one word, we said, the heart and the will of God toward his children. Grace delivered us from the bondage of sin and death. That was our bondage because that was our nature 
When we're born in our first birth, when we're born in the flesh, we're born in bondage to sin and death because that's our nature. Grace delivers us from that nature of sin and death and it delivers us into the salvation that is found only in Christ. Amen? Grace doesn't always deliver us from all things. So Paul, in writing this letter to to Titus, in verse 9, exhort bondservants or exhort slaves. The grace of God didn't deliver those guys from their slavery. They were still slaves, but the grace of God helped them walk through their slavery and adorn the doctrine of God. It helped them walk through their circumstance, walk through their situation in such a way that their lives spoke of God, revealed God. And so grace doesn't always deliver us from all things, but it most certainly empowers us to adorn the doctrine of God in all things. Amen? So the grace of God empowers us to gloriously persevere with hope through all things. The grace of God that brings salvation. That brings salvation. What is salvation? Well, we would say maybe at first thought that, well, salvation is going to heaven and not to hell. But that's not really what salvation is. Salvation is not just going to heaven one day. Or salvation is not just escaping hell. That is a very small view of salvation. And I think this is um, what we've done with much of the church is we've presented salvation as, as escaping hell and getting to go to heaven. But salvation is much more than that. If, if our concept of salvation is just being thankful that we're not going to suffer for eternity instead of understanding what God has allowed us to enjoy for eternity, then we really don't, we shortchange this concept. So salvation is not just escaping hell and getting to go to heaven. Salvation is receiving the life of Christ. That, that is a huge concept. Christ is our salvation. Salvation is not just where I get to spend eternity. It's, it's what I receive. It's what God has given me as a gift. The gift of salvation. Paul talks about the gift of salvation. For we have been saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. That gift of God refers to the salvation The salvation is the gift that God has given us. That gift that He's given us is the life of His Son. So salvation is receiving the life of Christ by grace through faith. So God's grace brought Christ to us. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. We're going to look at this today. That grace, the grace of God brought Christ to us and God's grace imparts the life of Christ in us. There is a vast difference between Jesus coming to us and the life of Christ being imparted in us. Jesus came to the world. He appeared to all men. We're going to talk about this and understand this in a right way. There's a wrong way we can understand this. We need to understand it in the right way. But the fact that he appeared to all men 
There is a difference between appearing to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. But what salvation is, is not just Jesus appearing, not just Christ being born in a manger, not just Christ walking uh, the land of, of Palestine. What brings salvation to us, what is salvation, is God by His grace imparting the very life of His Son in us. That's what saves us. That's what salvation is. Not just me escaping hell, but I have received the life of the Son of God. I have been changed at the very core, at the very foundation blocks of who I am. My nature has been changed. I have been born again. I'm a new creation. I am a very... I'm a brand new species of being. I am something that I never was before. I am something now that I never could be or had any hope of being because it was impossible for me. But what is impossible for man, what does the Scripture tell us, is not impossible for God. It was impossible for me to save myself. God did the impossible. He saved me in spite of myself. So salvation is receiving the life of Christ. It's having that life imparted to us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Where? In the Son of God. So salvation, listen, this is really important. Salvation is not something I possess. You know, I've got my, I don't have them. I don't carry them in my pocket because they jingle. But, you know, you carry your, guys, you carry your car keys in your pocket or some of you guys clip them on your belt loop, right? You, you possess your car keys. Have you ever lost your keys? Yeah. They come unclipped, they fall out of your pocket. If salvation is something you possess, guess what? You can lose it. Just like you can lose your car keys or you can lose whatever. Salvation is not a thing you possess. This is important for us to grasp. Salvation is not something I possess, but someone, listen, someone who possesses me. Salvation is not a thing. Salvation is a person. It's not something I possess. It's someone who possesses me. When we are in Christ, we are Possessed by Christ who is our life. The branch is abiding in the vine. The life of the vine is in the branch. The branch is alive because the life of the vine is in it. And because the branch is abiding in. The branch is a possession of the vine. The branch exists because the vine manifest it because the vine grew it because the vine sustains it salvation is not something i possess but someone who possesses me so the life of the believer is none other than the life of christ you don't have a separate life apart from christ christ is our life if you are in christ if you are born again today if you are a believer as, as defined by the Scripture, not, yeah, I believe, 
Oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I believe, I know him. Yeah, no, I don't want to talk about it. See you later. That's not belief as defined by the Scripture. See, we have belief, the English word believe, means one thing to us today in 21st century America. The word believe, as communicated in the Scripture, means something vastly different. So when we read the word believe, if you believe in your heart, that right there tells you there's something different. It didn't say if you believe in your head. A lot of people believe from their head. Believing in your head is not going to do anything for you. It's believing in your heart. Well, how do you believe in your heart? Well, you've got to understand what this word believe means. It means to trust. You don't trust with your head, you trust with your heart. And you do a lot of things with your head, and your, your head should follow what we're talking about here. But you didn't come to faith in Christ, you didn't trust Christ because you intellectually figured it all out. Because salvation's not something I possess, it's someone who possesses me. So the life of the believer is the life of Christ. And that reveals to us what kind of life that we have become partakers of. Peter says we have become partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't make us God. That doesn't mean we become God. That means that we have become partakers of his nature. It means I had a nature of sin and death. Now I am born again and I possess the nature, the very life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. If I possess His life, if He is my life, then it's fair to say I've become partaker of His nature, right? Yes. You possess human life, and that makes you a, a dog, cat, cow, or a human. Multiple choice test. What do you think? A, dog, B, cat, C, cow, D, human. You possess human life, therefore you are a, the right answer is D, a human. Now, I possess the life of Christ. That doesn't make me Christ, but here's the thing. How does the Bible talk about us? It says we are members of his body. My hand is not a human, is it? But it is human, right? I mean, it, it, it's human in nature because it's a hand on a human body. But my hand doesn't define my humanity it's part of my humanity. So when we become partakers of the divine nature, we become members of his body. That doesn't make me God. That doesn't make me Christ. But it does define what life I possess, what nature I possess, and how I am known, and therefore what my life should communicate. We're going to get to that next week when we talk about the grace of God teaching us so this life, what, what kind of life do we have? If we have the life of Christ, we have a life of power. Everybody say power. Romans 8, 11. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will what? Strengthen your mortal body. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, is that, what kind of life is that? 
I mean, Adam was just a lump of clay until God did what? Breathed his breath of life into him. We're reading through the book of Job, or we just finished reading the book of Job. We're going to reread it because the book of Job is amazing. And there's a part in the book of Job toward the end of the book where it says, if God were to withdraw his breath, everything in the universe would cease to exist. Why? Because that represents his life. Listen, God is what gives life to everything. This is what Colossians teaches us. He upholds all things, Paul writes in Colossians. In other words, in Christ, all things are upheld, or that Greek word says literally, in Christ, all things are held together. The only thing keeping this universe from flying apart is Christ, the Creator. Now, there are people that would laugh and scoff at that, but that's okay. Let them laugh and let them scoff. That same spirit that raised that same Christ who created heaven and earth from the dead is the same spirit, the Bible says, that dwells in you. That's your life. That's your salvation. What kind of life do you have? You have a life of power. Power over sin. Sin had no power over Christ. Power over death. Death and the grave had no power over Christ. Power over the world. Christ came into this world and the world tried to put him to death, but the world could not conquer him. You have power over the world. Power over anything or anyone that would try to separate us from his love. Why? Because salvation is not something but someone. Power to overcome in and through all things. Power to glorify God in any situation, any circumstance, or any condition. This is the life that we come to possess at salvation. When God imparts the life of His Son to us, when He gives us His life, this is the life that we possess. It's a life of power. Sin has no power over you. Death has no power over you. The world doesn't have any power over you. You can give yourself, Paul says, a slave to sin. You can present yourself as a slave to the world, but why would you do that? You once had no recourse. You couldn't help but do that. But now that Christ has delivered you, you have power over these things. So why, Christian, do you still present your members as slaves to sin? as instruments of unrighteousness. Why do we do that? We have the power to not do that. The fact that we don't do that does not save us. You understand? You're not saved because you don't do those things anymore. You don't do those things anymore because you're saved. Before you were saved, you had no power but to do those things. That's who you were by nature. But now that you're saved... That's not who you are. You now have become partakers of Christ. Now you don't have to do those things anymore. Because you are saved, we are not to do those things anymore. Don't put the cart before the horse. Your salvation is not something you work for. It's not behavior modification. Salvation is a gift from God. So this is the life. 
the powerful life that we have received by the grace of God in Christ. Grace that brings salvation is grace that provides the power and the ability to do God's will. Let me say that again. Grace that brings salvation is the grace of God that that gives us the power and the ability to do God's will. What is God's will? Jesus tells us in John 6.40. Let me read it to you. John 6.40, Jesus says, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, I should lose. Of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. Do you, do you see here? Now, go back to, to this statement. Salvation is not something I possess. It's someone who possesses me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. Jesus doesn't lose his keys. <laughs> he doesn't lose his keys. He doesn't lose the things that the Father gives to him. He doesn't. He's not going to lose you either. I promise you that. This is the will of the Father. Did Jesus do the will of the Father? He said, the only one I lost wasn't mine anyways. He was a devil. Judas. Jesus, at the end, didn't go, wow, dadgummit, you know. Well, one out of 12 is not bad. I almost got it perfect. No. No, no, no. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone, say everyone. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him, not here, but here, who believes in him, may have everlasting life. And I will... Not I might, I will raise him up at the last day. This is the will of the Father. This is what the grace of God, this is the, the grace of God, the power and the ability to do his will. This is the will of the Father. So in trusting Christ, all else flows from the power and the ability that the grace of God provides. You're saved today, I'm saved today by the grace of God. You're not saved by your power and your ability, you're saved by His power and His ability. His grace has given that power and that ability to you. Made it available to you on His behalf for the will of the Father. This is the grace of God that brings salvation. So, What is salvation? It's the life of Christ imparted in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Take a little wax pencil, a little yellow marker, go through your New Testament and mark every time you see in Christ, in him. And you'll see that what we have, we have where? In him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is salvation. It's the life of Christ imparted in us. By the grace of God. Salvation is not something, it is someone who has now taken possession of me, of you, if you have trusted Christ. Amen? So let's look at our verse again. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Let's talk about this last section of the verse here. The grace of God that has appeared to all men. So, how is grace described? Look at the verse. 
Grace is described here as the grace of God that what? That brings salvation. This is what grace does. It brings salvation, okay? The word appeared is the Greek word where we get our English word epiphany from. Epiphanio is the Greek word. And, and so anybody ever have, have you ever said, man, I had an epiphany? This is where that word comes from. I had a revelation or I, man, I finally, I, I got it. I had this moment where it snapped and it's like, oh, wow, now I understand. Or you know what I'm talking about. This is this word, what this word appeared. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The word appeared means more than just simply to appear, like, you know, now you see it, now you don't. Or now you don't, now you do see it. It's not just, it doesn't just mean to appear, like it wasn't visible and now it is. It, it has a deeper meaning than that. It carries a stronger active meaning as to give light. In Acts 20.27 or 27.20, it's used to describe the stars in heaven. The stars shine. They don't just appear. There's something. There's a deeper meaning here. Christ, the grace of God, has appeared to all men. And so the grace of God that brings salvation did not just become visible, but it shines as a light. It has appeared shining forth to all men. It has appeared, shining forth and speaking to all men. It reminds me of Psalm 19.1, where David says, The heavens declare your glory, and the firmament shows your handiwork. The heavens. He's talking about the stars. The, the stars, the planets, suns, the moon. They declare your glory. They speak Their appearance, their manifestation speaks, it declares something. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace did not appear exclusively to a few. But it has appeared openly to all men. How do we understand that? Christ didn't come in secret. But he came openly appearing to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's not that Christ literally appeared to every man. Has Christ appeared to you physically? Has he? He hasn't. But has he appeared to you? Has he been manifest to you? Yes, he has. In, in lots of ways he has. So let's go to the book of John in Second uh, Corinthians, and we'll get a little clarification. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, for instance, verse 5. John 1, 5, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And go down to verse 9, he's talking about this light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now we need to understand 
the way to really understand this verse, it really works either way. But what this is really saying is the light, that was the true light coming into the world, which gives light to every man is kind of like a prepositional phrase. That is the true light which gives light to every man, this light that is coming into the world. It works really either way. Your King James has it that way. If you have an ESV or a New American Standard, you see that what's coming into the world is talking about the light. But it works however you want it. The sun, let's think about the sun. The sun shines on every man coming into the world, right? The sun coming into the world, <laughs> rising every morning, shines on all men, right? Yes. So the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. That's Christ. And then you go over to, so what was the problem? The light came, giving light, enlightening all men. What's the problem then? Go to John three nineteen. Here's the problem. John three nineteen, and this is the, con- the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So the light came, but men, men didn't comprehend it, and men didn't love it. They didn't want it because they loved darkness. Why did they love darkness? Because that's who they were. We'll see that in just a little bit. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So, The light comes into the world, it shines, it sheds rays to all men, right? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I love this verse, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says... For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, first creation, who has shown in our hearts, second creation, new birth, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give light to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Take your highlighter and highlight that word in in that verse. Where did God, where has God caused light to shine, Christian? In. In your heart. So the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Light shines to every man's being. Just like the sun shines on all men. Do you realize the sun shining on all men is the grace of God? The rain that rains on all men, the wicked and the just, is the grace of God. The fact that the wicked have sun and the fact that the wicked have rain, that is the grace of God. God has shed His grace abroad. Light shines to every man's being, but light does not shine in every man's heart. It doesn't. If it did, 
every man would go to heaven and there would be no one in hell. But the Bible teaches us that there will be people in hell. Why? Because though the light has come into the world and has shed its rays abroad to all men, Jesus didn't come secretly for a few. He didn't come for just a a few Jews over in Israel 2,000 years ago. He came and he appeared openly to all men. As a matter of fact, even before Jesus was manifest in his first incarnation, the scripture tells us when God said, let there be light, and he, he put everything out there for us to stand at night and see the stars and, and the moon and, and wonder at all of that majesty. God says his invisible attributes are there to be clearly seen. Say, so that's a contradiction in terms. How can that which is invisible be clearly seen? How many of you drive a car, truck, or some form of automobile? Okay. Did your car or your truck come to be by accident? Did it? Well, you know it didn't, right? Do you know the guy who made it? Did you see the guy make it? Well, how do you know someone made it then? How do you know someone made your car? How do you know your car didn't just evolve? It's a fair question. Did you see someone make it? Do you know the name of the person who made it? You don't? Then how do you know somebody made it? The person who made your car is invisible to you. But yet, you don't have any doubt in your mind that somebody made your car. Why? Because you say, no one can make A contraption like, nothing like this, nothing this complicated could just happen by accident. There's got to be a maker out there. You think your car is complicated? Check out the universe, buddy. But we say, well, we know someone made my car because nothing like this could just happen by accident. Though I didn't see anyone make it. I don't know who made it. I don't know exactly when it was made. But yet, I don't believe in God. I think all this just happened by accident. Or just... Maybe it always was, or really? You're going to believe you're going to believe someone in Detroit or San Antonio or wherever in Japan or China or Korea made the car you're driving, but you're going to not believe in the God of creation, the God of heaven and earth, the God who created the universe, because you think your car is more complicated than the universe. If if your car, the fact that you ca- drive a car, demands you'd believe in a maker of your car. The earth you walk on, the earth and the universe you live in demands that you believe in the Creator. And this is exactly why Paul says in Romans, they are without excuse. Because his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Yet, they not only didn't glorify God, they were not thankful. Light shines to every man. Every man alive on planet earth today that breathes the air, that feels the warmth of the sun, that has the advantage of the rain that falls producing the food that he eats, the water he drinks. Every man, every man, every woman, every human being 
takes that in, that drinks that in, that, that takes advantage of that, they are experiencing what God has created. They are participating in what is undeniable that God in heaven created all of this. You can say it's not true. You can say he doesn't exist. You can say whatever you want. But here's what the scripture says. In that day, they will be without excuse. Not because they, they didn't hear the name of Jesus. Not because they rejected Christ, but because they rejected God. They don't have to hear the name of Jesus Listen, I'm telling you, there will be people that will stand there one day and they're not going to say, now God, you know, I would have believed in you if. Now God's going to say, you know what? I revealed myself to you from the very beginning. You rejected me when I clearly showed you all around that I am. And men reject the notion of the Son. You know why they reject the notion of the Son? Because they reject the Father. And Paul says, hey, the Father has made himself known. The light shines to every man's being, but the light does not shine in every man's Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare to all men. You understand that? The heavens declare. The the implied understanding is to all men the glory of God. And the firmament shows to all men his handiwork. This is why Paul writes what he writes in Romans. Because what may be known of God is manifested in them, you bear the fingerprint of your Creator. You know that? You're like that Dodge or that Chevy truck out there or that little Kia Sedona that my wife drives. Some Korean made that little blue minivan. I don't know what his name is. I don't know who he is. I don't know when exactly he made it. But that little Kia Sedona that my wife drives bears the thing. In that van is the very fingerprint of its makers. Somebody made it. God, here's what Paul says. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. What may be known of God is manifest in me right now. Whether I believe in God or not, it's manifest in me. You know why? Because the very fact that I'm walking, breathing entity on this earth testifies that a creator created me. It's in me for all to see. When I look at you, God is testifying of his existence by the very fact that you are. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The light of his invisible attributes shines for all men to see. This is why all men are without excuse. See, we're not saved because we deserve to be saved. See, we have this false notion that God saved me because somehow I deserved it. No. I'm just like these people Paul is talking about. 
I was born without excuse. I am without, I'm still without excuse. (laughs) I'm saved, but I'm not saved because I deserve to be saved. I'm not saved because I'm good. Because there is none good but who? But God. It's the goodness of God that saved me. Not my goodness that saved myself. The light has come to every man. But Jesus said, the men, the light came to love darkness because their deeds were evil or their deeds were dark. Why were their deeds evil? Why were their deeds dark? Because that's who they were by nature. But what has God done? The same God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown a light in our hearts. So it's the grace of God that has caused light to shine out of darkness to all men, like the sun that shines on all men, even though they don't glorify him or thank him. It's the same grace of God that has caused light to shine in our dark hearts. To do what? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Where is the knowledge of the glory of God seen? It's seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God the Father has placed His glory in His Son. For you once, this is what Paul writes to the Ephesians, for you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. God will make himself known. We have this, I think in America we have this belief that unless a middle-aged white guy goes to everybody on planet earth and gives them a Bible tract, they don't have any chance of being saved. And I think that's the height of arrogance on our part. No man will be saved apart from Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. But to think that it's going to have to happen the way we imagine it's going to happen is is just wrong. So what do we do? Here's what Jesus said. He said, the harvest is plentiful. Pray what? Pray the Lord of the harvest send laborers. Now, that might be us. That might be somebody we don't even know. But, but here's, here's where we, as a congregation, need to begin. It's kind of like the Great Commission. It's kind of like Jesus telling his disciples, you be witnesses to me. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive power to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth. So you've heard me say this before. This is... Our Jerusalem. This is where we live. Does God want us to touch the utter ends of the earth? Absolutely, he does. But not until we, what? Not until we touch our Jerusalem. So this is, and how are we going to touch our Jerusalem? We're going to go eat a meal in just a few minutes. And and you're going to hopefully give a donation. And we're going to send that money to our missionaries. And we, we should feel good about that. But don't stop there and think that because you wrote a check for a missionary somewhere in some other part of the world, 
that you've done what God's called you to do. You can't go to Ethiopia or you can't go to Costa Rica. But you're not in Ethiopia and you're not in Costa Rica. You're in Taylor. Ethiopia is not your Jerusalem. Taylor is your Jerusalem. Those people in Ethiopia or those people in the other parts of the earth, listen, God knows how to save them. And they're going to be saved the very same way you're going to be saved, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But what we're responsible to do right here is this is where God's placed us. We are the body of Christ in this city, in this East Williamson County area. And we are commanded to go into our world and be salt and light. We are commanded, remember, not to make converts. Conversion is a one-time experience. We are commanded to make disciples. To make a disciple, you need to become a disciple. And so we need to ask ourselves, what kind of disciple am I? And you know, if you'll ask that question honestly, God will give you an honest answer. You'll know. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The light must shine in men's hearts for them to be saved. Somebody's got to go with a message. Somebody's got to be a manifestation of Christ. Somebody's got to be a shining light to those in darkness. That's us. That's us, church. We've got to become shining lights in the darkness. This isn't just an evangelistic program that we need. It is a lifestyle that we are commanded to live every day. For you once were darkness, but now, but now you are light in the Lord. Paul's command, walk as children of light. Amen? So how do you do that? I'm going to read the scripture again from Luke, 8, Luke 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is the life of God that we receive at salvation. Amen? Let's all stand. Praise God for His grace. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men.